Welcome. And today on the show, we have Michael Badeski of INSEACT. Welcome, Michael. Hi, thanks very much, Raphael. Glad to be on the show. I'm excited to talk to you today because um, it's rarely uh, the case that I, I talk to founders where I've already had a, a factory tour, <laughs> <laughs> which I, so I'm, I'm, I'm subject to privilege inf- information in this case, but uh, I, will, I would love to touch on it with our, with our listeners because it's a visceral experience. So let's uh, get straight into what INSEACT is, and there's obviously a clue in the name, right? Sure. So uh, INSEACT is an insect protein company, and we exist to sustainably bridge the protein population gap. And uh, what we do is we grow insects, of course, uh, and specifically the black soldier fly here in Singapore in our pilot facility, and we're expanding throughout Southeast Asia. And we generate protein, fertilizer, and oil, all of which is extremely sustainable and has a wide variety of uses in our food system. Cool. So you used a term there, so I'm going to dig straight into it, actually. Protein population gap. What the hell is that? So that is really the the reason we got started. Uh, If we look at the major trends right now, we are seeing that, of course, the population is growing and more uh, people are eating protein in in larger quantities. So the trajectory we're on is needing 20, uh, sorry, 70% more protein by 2050. And the issue we have today in the food system is that pretty much all of the protein that you eat today is coming from one of two sources. It's coming from crops that we grow or wild fish that we catch. Everything else that we think of as protein, everything from plant-based meat to milk and eggs, it is all a derivative of these two because the animals that we eat need to be fed. And so the situation we have today is that almost all of the farmable land is already being used as farmland, which means that if we need more uh, crops production or more land to graze our animals, we need to basically turn to deforestation. And actually, uh, 75% of global deforestation is due to, driven by agri- agriculture. And on the other hand, our fisheries are overcut. We're pulling fish out of the ocean at two and a half times the sustainable rate. So there's no more uh, uh, really way to increase that either. So we needed a new source of protein to keep up with the growing population. Um, And that's where insects come in. This amazing thing called the black soldier fly we grow can eat waste. And in fact, in nature, that's its role. It eats uh, decomposing waste and it can turn it into a healthy protein that can enter the human food chain at different stages, uh, even if we're not eating it directly. It means that we've broken through this limitation of these two base sources that have reached their limits and we have a whole new uh, supply into the food chain. Yeah, and I, I don't know many people that sort of hear the word insect and, and start kind of smacking their lips at the prospect of eating <laughs> it. I, I mean, I have had exposure to some really innovative uh, insect companies that are that are going that route, either through flowers and things to like create high protein bars. But there is a kind of, I guess, uh, thing to overcome, certainly for, for, for Western uh, cultured people around like whether or not they want to eat insects. But you're not you're not proposing that, right? You're not really uh, your market isn't to replace um, uh, Beyond Burgers or something with uh, with insect ones. Yeah, that's correct. Uh, people are you know, uh, seeing sort of insects right now popping up on store shelves sort of as a novelty snack, but it's not really becoming popular yet. I think it will take time and I think we'll get there. But at the moment, there are immediate applications. So we are using our insect protein as an ingredient for animal feed. And specifically, we're targeting farmed fish and shrimp. Right now, the main protein ingredient in farmed fish and shrimp feed is actually wild caught fish from the ocean that is ground up into a protein powder called fish meal. 
and include it in the feed. And so we think it's a little bit crazy to catch wild fish to feed them to our farmed fish. Uh, and so we've realized actually that insect protein is an incredible replacement for fish meal, works very well. And so this is our initial market, which is, uh, you know, still worth um, even in Southeast Asia, specifically to certain species, we're talking more than 10 bucks. 10 billion dollars worth of feed every year yeah that blew my mind actually that i didn't realize obviously people want to eat shrimp prawns nice nice protein sources and and uh, you've got growing middle classes that are that, that are looking forward to eating you know tasty food but i i actually didn't appreciate i had never really thought about first of all how how those fish uh, those shrimp etc are fed so when i when i started digging into it and understood that it takes around two kgs of wild caught fish to feed one kg or create one kg of, of, of seafood it, it it kind of suddenly makes you realize hold on that's that's not a good uh multiple <laughs> when, we've, when we've got severe challenges around biodiversity in um the oceans as i'm sure people have sort of um seen with recent reports from wwf and others around uh biodiversity loss um so so the prospect of insects in that food chain is is kind of interesting i guess because it's certainly in theory whether or not what you can in action you, you're reducing the amount of fish needed just to just in the farming process and 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 that's kind of happening i think isn't it in europe with salmon and and farms and things like that which also have debatable levels of of, of impact potentially but uh what are you seeing here in southeast asia is, is it mostly fish meal that, that that's fed to you know this nine billion dollars of revenue of uh, a fish farm input is that mostly wild caught fish uh yes it's made uh, fish meal is made entirely from wild caught fish today and it is the most essential and most expensive protein ingredient in the feed and uh and so this is driving feed prices in a lot of ways as well and so if you are a farmer growing farmed fish or shrimp in this region feed accounts for 60 percent of your operating costs so their ability to make money is is primarily driven by how much they have to spend on feed Mm -hmm. And one of the things we've realized is actually if we include the insect protein in the feed, the shrimp and the fish grow faster and they need less feed to grow to the same size. And so as you can imagine, for these shrimp farmers, fish farmers, this is a huge deal and they are happy to find solutions that are uh, performing better. Now, in addition to that, of course, it's much more sustainable, which um, is a win-win. We believe that the only way to scale up quite big and make change at a huge scale is to have uh, an improvement that is economically viable. Uh, and so we're not relying on just the goodwill of the producers and our customers to buy it, but also because it's the best performing product out there. And like specifically, you're you're using the black soldier fly. I, I've I think it's probably the rock star uh, insect for for the protein uh, world, I guess, because there's so many. There seems to be a lot of startups that are, that are using that. So. Can you help us understand why the black soldier fly is is such a brilliant um, a species to partner with on this? Yes, absolutely. I mean, this black soldier fly, uh, if it's the first time you're hearing about it, you'll be hearing about it a lot more going forward. It is, like you said, the rock star of the insect world. And uh, they're amazing because, as I said, they're nature's recyclers. They'll, they will eat almost any organic matter, but also they're, they're tropical. So you can find them all around the world near the equator. They like, you know, 27 to 33 degrees Celsius and uh, and you can find them everywhere. So, for example, if you were to drop a piece of fruit on the ground or fell from a tree in the in the jungle within a day or two, you'd find it crawling with black soldier fly larvae. But the other key thing with them is that they grow really quickly. Uh, they can grow over a thousand times their body weight 
in about 10 days. And they are not a vector for disease. They don't bite, they don't sting, and they are actually incapable of carrying and transmitting diseases, which of course, uh, when you're growing and breeding many of them and having a growing industry, this is a, a key safety consideration um, to make sure it fits into the kind of public, you know, uh, into the public ecosystem without causing any issues. Uh, when you say they don't bite, obviously um, it's the insect when it becomes when he becomes the fly. They start off of, uh, as a larva, larvae um, or, or uh, do you call it maggot or is it just larvae? Uh, usually refer to it as larvae or yeah. uh, BSFL, black soldier fly larvae. Okay. Um, and But as soon as it becomes airborne, it, it then never needs to eat again, right? That's right. And so that's actually the reason that the larvae grow so quickly is because as an adult fly, it cannot eat. It, its mouth actually does not function. Mm-hmm. And so as a larvae, it needs to absorb all of the nutrients and energy for its entire life cycle in a short period of time, which is the reason the larvae grow so quickly. And that's actually what we are primarily producing and harvesting. And then a small percentage of the larvae become adult flies. And their really only function is to mate and lay eggs, uh, which at which time their, their life cycle is essentially over and it repeats. And the point you made about the thousand times the body weight is you know, super, super amazing for, for these kind of applications, I guess, because no creature or thing really does, the, does it in that such speed. But can you just talk us through how this works then? Um, because it sounds, you know, great. We're turning waste into protein, and protein is going into the fish. But how how does that? How does it actually work? Like, where does where's the what's the waste waste source? And like, what what are these outputs you mentioned? The oil and the uh, fertilizer and stuff. Is it really that that perfect in terms of? Um, the different outputs that, that come from this and uh, uh, talk us through through that process. Yeah, so insect protein, and especially with black soldier flies, is a, a zero waste solution and it really can close the loop in a circular economy and circular food and agriculture system. So these insects, they can eat waste and they'll eat anything from uh, agri-waste that's produced at industrial scales uh, from agricultural production or food waste, fruit and vegetable waste, you name it. And you have to prepare a feedstock. Uh, so you prepare the feed for the insects using this waste. You need to make sure, of course, that it's balanced in terms of uh, uh, nutrition and things like this. And then as the insects eat it and grow, uh, what happens is this waste is processed and the output is protein fertilizer, which, which is called frass and oil. So you end up with a bunch of larvae that are living in their feed, which is actually how they grow in nature. And that's what we recreate in an industrial production system. And uh, when you separate the larvae from the feed that they were in, the feed has essentially been converted into the insect's droppings, which is a frass fertilizer. It's an organic fertilizer that can be used for uh, a wide variety of agriculture applications. And then the larvae are processed into protein and oil. They have a high protein content and also an oil content. And these all have different applications. So the protein, we are using it for aquaculture, which is farmed fish and shrimp to replace that fish meal. And then the oil also serves well as an ingredient for, uh, for animal feed, for example. And so the result is you have waste in three sellable, valuable products out. Uh, You're eliminating the waste stream while uh, plugging more usable products back into the food system. You're not growing soy or something to feed an animal that, that could be feeding a human. Yes, so that's right. There are, so the, you have to make certain considerations when choosing the feedstock for the insect. Um, you need to make sure that it's going to be consistent throughout the year so that, uh, you know, like, like humans, you are what you eat. <clears throat> the insects as well, if we feed them uh, inconsistent nutritional profiles, then uh, the protein we produce will be inconsistent. So you want consistency, but 
but you also want to think about scalability, what's available in large volumes. Uh, you want something that's concentrated, so it's easy to aggregate and not expensive. And so whatever you're using as a feed, uh, that is a key decision there in really in any insect company. And you've chosen palm waste, correct? That's right. So we took a global view of all the different waste streams that are available, uh, looking at and screening them for volume, for uh, what is the lowest value, what is literally going into landfill today, uh, and what meets these other criteria in terms of uh, scalability, easy to ag aggregate, concentrated. And we have figured out a way of using palm oil waste as the ingredient uh, for the feed for these insects. And today, this palm oil waste can be found next to every palm oil mill. Uh, there are over 2,000 mills in the world, and uh, more than 85% of them are in Malaysia and Indonesia. And the great thing about this is that it's highly scalable, but also this palm oil waste is causing a huge issue. It's going into landfill and it's emitting methane, which is a potent greenhouse gas with a warming potential 25 times that of CO2. And we're realizing that if we can uh, feed this to the insects, what they're doing is they're actually eliminating it before it has a chance to make these emissions. So in addition to the fact that insect production and insect protein is already a very low carbon footprint protein, compared to the other sources we have today. This uh, choice of feedstock we have at INSEAC is uh, is really, really reducing it even further. You know, if you take out the uh, the operations of the business, then is it is it like, because uh, everybody is obsessed obviously with CO2 and methane these days, uh, is it net, what you would call net zero? Uh, we actually expect we are to be doing better than net zero, we are looking to have a negative carbon impact. We ran the math on the footprint from all of our other activities, all the energy we use in our processes, all the scope two emissions as well. So that's the, you know, the transportation of our uh, materials and all of these things. And we, when we net that all out with the carbon impact of using this palm oil waste as a feed, we are actually coming out as net negative, which makes us one of the first uh, carbon negative proteins that that you can buy. And we're really excited about this. This means that for every kilogram of this protein we're producing, we're actually eliminating CO2 rather than producing it. And, and do you think it will have an impact on fishing? Um, I assume the stuff that turns into fish meal is, is, is not being sold for obviously human consumption and maybe, I don't know, lesser grade or, or maybe dubious species. I, I, I don't know. But do you, do you think that the, in, the insect aquaculture increase will change uh, the amount of fishing being done for simply for, for farmed processes? Yes, and that's absolutely one of our goals. In fact, that's closely related to how we got started with this. So my co-founder, Tim, um, him and I were classmates at uh, NCI MBA program, and he actually showed up to the MBA already with the idea of building this, and it came from a, a very kind of intense personal experience he had. So he is half Dutch and half Samoan, so he was uh, his father's from the the little Pacific island of Samoa, and he was there visiting his family in 2017. And it's a fishing-based economy. That's, you know, when you're a small island in the Pacific, you have this incredible resource all around you. And they've been getting really hit with uh, lower catch and lower yield lately. And the reason uh, his cousin there was explaining to him is because just off the coast, there are these um, industrial trawlers that are scooping up fish and they were telling him this fish is not even for humans to eat. It's just being ground up into animal feed. And that was sort of the moment of realization, hey, this needs to be solved. This doesn't make any sense. And so that was what set out the quest for, hey, how do we replace this stuff? And what led us ultimately to insect protein as a, a scalable uh, solution. And so what we hope to achieve with this is to eventually replace all the fish meal in the feed for aquaculture and eliminate the 
practice of catching a fish for fish meal, uh, massively reducing wild catch uh, and, and allowing our fisheries to recover a little bit. Amazing. And for your, you know, why, what, I think it'd be good if you kind of went into a bit about your background and why Tim and, and you hit it off, um, because you have quite complementary skills. Yes. So I'm, first of all, I feel very lucky to be working with Tim. We are a great team. And uh, like you mentioned, we have different backgrounds and complementary skills with a very shared uh, understanding of what we're looking to achieve with this. And so it's a really the ideal fit. So personally, my background, uh, I'm Canadian and American and I'm uh, an industrial engineer. And so when I was working in Canada and the US, my uh, projects were on things like uh, designing the processes and also the buildings to house the processes for industrial production on everything from uh, algae production to vehicle manufacturing. And so my clients would hire me to help work uh, to, to design essentially their, their new production. And while there was something really satisfying about making everything more efficient, because that was really fundamentally the goal of what I was working on, and it was really fascinating to work across many industries, really my personal goal and what I want to do with my career is have the biggest environmental impact I can. Uh, I really believe that, you know, kind of all, all, all capital is impact capital. The work you do and is uh, for your career, so you spend most of your time doing it, right? That's really what you leave behind in your, your legacy. And I, I wanted to be building something highly impactful. And so even though I was making things more efficient, it wasn't really, I thought, the highest leverage use of my career. And I was thinking if I'm building a company that is sustainability focused and also economically viable and scalable, that's probably the most impactful thing I can do. And that's what led me to the INSEAD MBA in the first place. Um, INSEAD really focuses on this concept of business as a force for good and is also uh, very startup focused. In fact, the first ever venture capitalist, George Dorio, uh, was the, the founder of INSEAD. And so uh, that brought me to the program. And that's where I met Tim. And Tim is an entrepreneur by background. Uh, he started his first e-commerce business uh, as a late teenager and later uh, moved from the Netherlands to, to China. And he was living in Beijing where he had an infant nutrition business that he set up and operated and grew over the course of seven years and then exited before coming into INSEAD. And so he had uh, the kind of zero to one background. He'd done it several times. He had the nutrition perspective as well. I had the engineering background and how do we actually execute on a project like this and also the sustainability focus, which he has as well. Um, so INSEAD actually started, INSEAD actually started as a student project uh, as part of the venture competition, which um, it entered and actually won in the end, which gave some, uh, I guess, more confidence. Hey, we have a little bit of traction here. Um, maybe we should keep going with this. So. After the, the school program, uh, Tim went to join Innova Feed, which is the uh, largest and best funded insect company in the world based in France. And I was cutting my teeth in the startup world at a fast scaling Series A startup in London. And uh, so we we're doing that for, for about a year, at which point we realized, okay, you know, for example, at Innova Feed, they're doing some things really well, but there's a whole opportunity in Southeast Asia that was untapped. And uh, that's when we were Tim and I were catching up and saying, okay, we should we should really uh, raise around and, and go go build this thing. So that's how we got started. And that was at the beginning of 2021, beginning of last year. And 
Like, why Singapore? Why Asia? Uh, I mean, Singapore is your headquarters, but obviously not where your uh, your raw ingredients and, and probably not where you'll end up um, housing all, all these black soldier flies. Um, why why here? Uh, there's a ton of money in Europe. I, I think there's a couple, if not more, unicorns that have very you know we're talking billion dollar valuation already startups um, who are in the black soldier fly or mealworm or whatever insect based uh, agriculture aquaculture and, and and feed area. Why why is here? is so um, attractive to you guys? Yeah, so we we saw what was happening in Europe and uh, the whole industry really had its, I guess, its genesis there. There was a lot of uh, early grants that were going in, even while the really, really fundamentals of, of uh, how do you mass produce um, this insect protein uh, was getting started. Although looking at uh, where the future is in the industry, uh, if we look at these insects, the key questions for us are what is the market that we're going to sell into and what is the feedstock and what do the insects need to grow well? And so our market is here. I mean, as I mentioned, we're selling into the aqua culture industry 90% of global aquaculture is in Asia and so this is really where the activity is and where our customers are if we take our initial niche for example in uh, in shrimp farming um, there's huge um, shrimp farms in Indonesia and Vietnam and Thailand and uh, all around here and then also uh, from a production side as I mentioned we figured out how to use palm oil waste as a feed and there's a high concentration of this waste that's available in Malaysia and Indonesia and then of course this insect which I mentioned is a tropical insect uh, (laughs) likes warm weather I mean this is where it's from and so it means that we don't need to spend a lot of money on heating and cooling we don't need to burn a lot of energy to do that. We just use fresh air. And if you're building a facility for these insects in Europe or North America, where you have cold winters, for example, you end up, I mean, to me, heating a huge production facility to the temperature of a sauna doesn't really make too much sense. Uh, It seems quite energy inefficient. So, (laughs) Yeah, just a bit. Just a little bit, you know, and they also like 80% humidity. I mean, they really like, uh, you know, these conditions that we have in Singapore and Indonesia and Malaysia all year round. Yeah. And so we picked Singapore as getting the place to get started and as our headquarters because here we can attract top global talent, we can attract uh, plenty of venture funding, and we are operating out of the whole region and Singapore has such convenient uh, access uh, across these borders. It's really the logical place to be uh, to be building in Malaysia, to be building in Indonesia, and to be selling into the whole region, actually. Yeah, imagine actually uh, breeding or growing an animal in the environment that <laughs> it naturally exists. I mean, that's a radical idea for humans. We like to just pick stuff up one place, drop it somewhere else, and uh, and run with it, right? Uh, so yeah, it doesn't make any sense, does it? I think this is why um, uh, you know heating heating facilities, particularly when we we're looking at energy usage so so critically now uh it doesn't make much sense why all these data centers are moving to norway and other places that are naturally cold uh because the cost of air conditioning and the energy requirements for for them are so big so so it kind of named itself i guess INSEACT because you're both at INSEAD anyway and um talking about insects it, it wasn't one of those situations where you, you de- deliberated for many many days over the name i guess no we we maybe had a uh, too much fun playing with the the this name so yeah. it is an, if if you know if the insiders will, will see it as a nod to uh, where we got started but also insects and impact which is really what we're going to for but also we're dealing with uh, uh, issues of seafood and and solving problems in the ocean as well uh, so we are in in the sea in in sea and also we're 
working and acting in, in Southeast Asia as well. So there's a, a few different layers here, I guess. Yeah. And um, I mean, it's always a hard one naming a company, but what, what's making you different then? Because uh, like, uh, apart from your location, is there anything that you guys are doing secret source wise that, that you're prepared to share? Uh, there is quite a lot we're doing secret sauce wise, although there's not too much of it I can share with uh, all of your listeners, Raphael, unfortunately. <laughs> um, but we have taken, let's just say, uh, a, a really rigorous industrial engineering approach, which has fundamentally changed the way we are planning on scaling up. Uh, and also our feedstock is a breakthrough. Uh, we are the only ones that are able to, to produce this stuff uh, or to, to use it in a way that the insects can eat it. And I will share that um, your your initial facility is super interesting. I think um, it's kind of, uh, I guess the, the breeding room is, is probably a bush tucker trial nightmare for uh, insect, uh, someone who's not, not so keen on flying things, but it's all extremely <laughs> controlled. Um, you've got them, you've got the uh, the adults uh, love making in, a, in a, a nice blue light, which uh, does it for them. And um, they're actually very docile. They don't, they're kind of, they're, they're not scary, are they? Um, but but I guess the scary bit is there's so many of them. You must have some interesting uh, stories or anecdotes uh, around when you know you've. It's first of all, it's a very controlled environment. I was super impressed by the way you can you can literally smell the the palm waste. Um, it's quite you know pungent. Let's put it that way. Um, and then seeing the different growth stages of the larvae and and actually what comes out the other they they these guys these guys like absolutely chomp through this stuff and they turn and the smell completely changes it it, it loses its sort of um uh vinegary or sort of acidicness and um and and it becomes a bit more like a sort of hay kind of sweety uh scent a bit like uh i don't know um is it fair to say like horse manure or something or something like that has elements of it and and um it, it it's unbelievable the amount of waste that they they can they can convert in such a short space of time. That's what what kind of blew my mind. Yes, they really are uh, an amazing insect. And 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 research started back in you know the 90s and 2000s across like thousands of insect species, which ones might be the most applicable to industrial scale. And it sort of got narrowed down to just a few. And so the big three right now are black soldier flies that we grow, also mealworm, and also crickets. Um, but the black soldier eat and grow the fastest they can be harvested the quickest which means that you can produce the most for a certain um, amount of equipment and for a certain footprint of land uh, which is what we are uh, very excited about now so, in our facility yeah. oh. no I was, was going to say like has it gone wrong like because you have very different rooms uh, to describe yeah. it you've got kind of a breeding room where the adults are and that the, the, they're, they're kind of uh, laying their the eggs are they eggs uh, initially i guess yeah, um, yeah. which hatch into these almost i mean you can barely see them initially the 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 larvae are, are, are tiny it's not like a maggot you'd find in a bin right it's kind of like almost like a, a dust like seed that, that if you really zoom in on you can kind of see wiggling like it's a tiny tiny maggot um uh, and they obviously go into us uh, into the into the feedstock etc into a nice kind of imagine a worm farm or, a, or an ant farm right but you've got a lot of moving pieces here um, uh, like there must have been uh, setting up the facility there must have been occasions where where things haven't always gone right so uh what's it been like on the journey for you guys i mean i don't know if you're prepared to share anything but uh, I, yeah, like... yeah of course it was it was actually uh 
quite an adventure setting up this facility. So we're talking about INSEAC's pilot facility, which is here in Singapore. And really it was built as a proof of concept so that we could validate our engineering and our biology. And what I mean by that is we want to make sure that the design of our equipment and all the settings and the temperatures and the airflows and all that are working, but also on the biology side, knowing what are the yields we get, how many eggs are produced per per fly, for example, or how efficiently do the larvae convert the waste into body masks. And so we set up this facility at the end of 2021 in just a few short months, and we pushed ourselves to a very aggressive timeline. Uh, when we moved into this site, it was an empty concrete box, four walls, ceiling and floor. It had no lights, no ventilation, no electricity, no water, no walls, nothing. And while the construction was ongoing, and we designed this whole thing ourselves in-house, in by the way, and, and procured the equipment ourselves. And while we were setting it up, we had the equipment arriving before the renovation construction was even finished, and we had uh, we're trying to do everything at once it was really a, a, an intense and somewhat chaotic scenario and you know these pieces of equipment we're trying to bring in and some of them are quite large and even trying to squeeze them into the freight elevator was sometimes literally like a 10 person job of like heaving against the side of this thing it was really uh, really quite a comical sight um, but we did get it up and running with a few hiccups at the beginning of course so I remember you know you're talking about this fly colony where we have all these adult flies and we have I mean we're talking hundreds of thousands in this big walk-in uh, space and I'm in there attending to them and they're landing all over you but they don't bite and they don't sting and you get pretty used to it and they're doing their thing they're mating they're laying eggs and all is well and we had uh, a power cut at that time and so suddenly like the ventilation and the background noise disappears the lights go completely black and all of a sudden you, you can't see a thing all you can hear is just like the buzzing all around you and feel them landing and I'm, I'm normally very comfortable with these insects but you know in this this was just in the first weeks of setting up the facility and I can tell you that was uh, uh, I guess the, the the true test of my comfort with, uh, <laughs> with these black soldier flies. Yeah, because it's the room is actually it has no windows. It has absolutely zero natural light. Um, it's this. Uh, there's a lot of nets, obviously, that in inside where the where the flies are to kind of so you can walk into the room without them all kind of flying out the door. So you must have been <laughs> feeling your way to try and uh, to to work out even like where the door would be. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> or, or there yeah. should be some exit lights, I, I guess. Yeah. Uh, yes. Did uh, that kick in? We were... so. I we had one of the basically yeah we had one of the corner kicking in but it was anyway it was it was not sufficient i would say for uh for the situation it's quite comical we had and we had all kinds of other things at the beginning you know one interesting feature of the way these insects grow is they produce heat while they are eating and growing and so you can imagine them living and eating in in their feed and uh and the feed gets warm and actually if you don't control the the environment and the airflow and and to make sure they stay at a comfortable temperature uh the feed can heat up to 60 degrees celsius or even warmer and um, they'll actually eventually cook themselves in it so one of the key wow. things you have to under understand when you're setting up the facility is how to manage their environmental controls but what they will do is they basically before that happens they will do what's called a crawl out and the insect would literally try and crawl out of the container um and there is you know on our first batch before we had kind of figured out our our airflow situation we had what we call an MCO, which is a mass crawlout, where we were running around with brooms and dustpans trying to you know, sweep up the larvae that are uh, all making a break for it across the floor at the same time. Uh, it was uh, really quite a situation. But uh, again, learning experiences, and we'd rather, we'd rather figure it out at the small scale uh, in the early days so that when we build uh, this next facility next year, that's all, uh, all figured out. 
And that's the plan. Yeah, next year you're hoping to go full scale production. And and where where do you think the is? I assume outside of Singapore for that, somewhere near your your waste feeds. That's right. So we don't want to spend a lot of uh, diesel money on diesel fuel, burning it just to uh, truck this uh, this waste around. So we're going to go to the source of the the waste. So we'll be building a facility next year that uh, that will be in Malaysia, and it will be our first commercial scale facility. So, you know, we expect actually to be building even bigger ones in the future, but this one is already um, taking us out of concept phase and into a, you know, fully fledged uh, operation phase. That's super cool. And um, I know you've got already some very um, well-known and and reputable investors uh, that are on the journey with you. So I really hope that um, that you guys can uh, can start to, to scale it up in the region because whatever we see in terms of reduction of well, first of all, I love I love more circular approaches. Uh, I'm really, you know, think that that we've got to stop fishing in the way we are. Otherwise, it's uh, it's not good for everyone. Um, and and so the the small part you play uh, with with uh, aquaculture currently, which could easily expand, I think will be a, a crit- critical part for people uh, sort of starting to understand that there's better ways of doing things and we can we can produce more protein, which is a valuable um, thing that we ha- we ha- we're going to have to do as the populations increase without using more land mass. And, and that's a, a critical area, I think. So I, I do hope that the uh, the investors are ex- as excited about that as uh, as I am. They, they are. We've been very lucky to be supported by great investors such as uh, Asian Development Bank Ventures, for example, who have been a tremendous backer uh, for us along this journey. Yeah, I, I think in addition to replacing the, the wild-caught fish, which is uh, sort of our initial goal, uh, coming back to the bigger picture of kind of this uh, sustainably bridging the protein population gap, uh, the future markets of insect protein are also really interesting. So uh, there are market reports done by you know research firms, not, not us, but uh, outside opinions uh, that are sharing that they expect the insect protein market to be about $10 billion by 2030, which is about seven years from now. And that's that's going from not just replacing fish meal for farmed fish and shrimp, but then also this insect protein and the insects themselves are suitable as uh, ingredients in other animal feed, for example, for chickens and for pigs, but also it can be used as pet food. And there are now on a lot of store shelves, uh, pet food that's available that's replacing the uh, animal protein, like the, the chicken and things like this with, uh, with much more sustainable insect protein. And of course, there is the uh, human food and direct human consumption uh, thing as well, which I think we're going to get to. I think of when uh, kind of eating raw fish and sushi arrived in North America uh, a couple of generations ago, and people were a little bit unsure and hesitant and a bit weirded out. And then, you know, a decade later, two decades later, you can find uh, a sushi restaurant anywhere, you know, basically anywhere in North America. And that's usually the the one people will pay the biggest premium for. And I think that tastes and thinking will come around on insects as well, but it will take some time. And right now we have customers that want it. We have a way of getting it into the food system. I see the insect protein as becoming almost like a standard protein in the human food chain, and it can enter at different stages. Uh, And I don't think we need to eat it ourselves or even know that it's in the food system ourselves for it to be making the whole food system more sustainable. Because we found that most of the time, people don't ask what their dinner had for dinner. (laughs) If you you were eating shrimp, like when's the last time you're ordering a shrimp and you're not asking like, okay, what did this shrimp eat? And it's important and people should ask, but they don't. And so if we can replace, (laughs) you know, ingredients in their feed with uh, something more sustainable, 
little healthier, then um, you know people will be eating, and their 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 footprint and and contribution to environmental damage from their meals will be lowered without them even realizing it. And that's what we want to get to. When we when you get really into the detail around how much food is being moved such vast distances to feed chickens, feed cows, how much food is being produced to create those protein sources, not just food, water, and all the resources that we're doing. And then of course, that you've got the whole issue with food waste itself, where we're, we're kind of a third of it is just ending up rotting or, um, or, or being disposed of. We, we've just got to get a lot more efficient in how we do things. And the great thing is that companies are starting to make more commitments about um, science-based targets, net zero, et cetera. And the only way they're going to do that is by adopting new, new um, techniques and approaches and innovations so i think you've got a very bright future here michael and and tim as well and and the whole insiac team and i'm really grateful for you coming on explaining this whole world of black soldier flies because as you say everybody's gonna be hearing more and more about uh, about them and i'm really you know hoping i get to come and uh what we should do is uh when we move into video casts we we should just do one in the in the breeding room um (laughs) (laughs) that's a great idea uh because uh, uh, yeah, we wouldn't get bitten. Uh, although I think your your kind of blackout experience means you're probably extremely casual with it. But I, I'm not sure I would be quite so calm if I was in there with a with a million black soldier flies um, wanting to mate on me. Uh- <laughs> it, it, it is. Uh- yeah, it's, it's definitely a unique uh, experience, but I, I've yet to see somebody come out of there with a kind of a, an invigorated smile. It's uh, definitely, uh, def- <laughs> traumatizing. <laughs> it, it's definitely, uh, definitely fun. But this is the wonder of nature, it, to be honest. Like the fact that stuff hits the floor in the jungle and can be, you know, turned into nutrients, and and that is the circle of life. And tuning into this kind of more regenerative and bio-engineered um, ex- understanding, you know, the complexity of nature is also the guiding light towards solutions that that we where we actually leverage that. Um, and and that's that's kind of what I love about what you guys are doing because you know it's easy to say, oh, gross insects, and we should just all eat vegetables but the reality is we're people want to eat eat meat um and and there's we're gonna we've got more and more people and as you say protein is an essential part of 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 life and our food chain so I, I i do hope that um the whole industry i hope you get you know many competitors i hope you guys do fantastically well also and and that we can start to um innovate around uh some of the biggest challenges because as we know um the food agriculture world is like a massive part of our decarbonization journey and um, it's just fantastic that you guys are, are, are leading the way here in in Southeast Asia, along with some you know other notable uh, notable names. And I really look forward to tracking it and uh, and and um, you know sharing more on this journey. Perhaps we'll get Tim on sometime to uh, talk about his um, Dutch Samoan experience and and, and a little bit more one day in the future. Yes. But but thank you, Michael, for joining and and um, and explaining everything. Raphael, thanks so much for hosting uh, me and Insiac today. 